Thanks for joining us today. We are always encouraged to know that God is using this ministry to touch lives all across the world through what He's doing right here in Murfreesboro, Illinois. Please take a moment and share what God is doing in your life by sending an email to info at cccmurphy.com. We trust that you will be blessed by today's message. Everybody say March Madness. We're going to start the second part of that today. Uh, how many of you sprang forward today? Some of you look like maybe you staggered forward this morning. <laughs> that we uh, lost that hour and jumped ahead, so we're excited that you're here. And I'm sure that there are some that probably didn't make it at all because they're still trying to get out of bed. Uh, we want to remind you for our Easter service also that we're having a resurrection seed offering. We ask you to begin to pray about what God wants you to do in this offering. This is not your tithe and offering, so don't take your tithe and put it in a resurrection seed envelope. This is above and beyond that. This goes directly to pay off the uh, mortgage here, and we believe, we're believing God. How many of you believe we ought to be debt-free? Amen. Hey, we've had some great stories come out of the financial peace class. Uh, you need to check into that if you haven't, but people that have already paid off thousands of dollars of debt. So we're excited about that, and we're looking forward to being able to do that because here's how I feel. The sooner this gets paid off, the more ministry we're able to do. How many of you excited about doing that? I, I thought about, the, you know, the things in life that we get consumed with. You know, we, there, there's the sporting events that we get consumed with, but there's also other things that we get consumed with. I thought about Theodore Roosevelt made this statement one time. He said, I am only an average man, but I work harder at it than the average man. Think about it. I'm only an average man, but I work harder at it than the average man. John Wesley was consumed with preaching and sharing God's Word. Over his lifetime, he averaged preaching three sermons a day for 54 years. He totaled more than 44,000 sermons, 44,000 times of preaching in his life. When he turned 83 years old, he was irritated to discover that he could only write for 15 hours a day without his eyes hurting. Doesn't that just bum you out that you can only write 15 hours a day? The man was consumed with it. He was consumed with being able to share the Word of God. I thought about things that we get consumed with. Some, this time of year, fishing's getting ready to start. How many of you are anxious to get the, some of you probably already got the rod and reels out. But fishing's getting ready to start. I've got grandchildren that have already been asking, Papa, when we go on fishing, when we go, I said, well, let it warm up a little bit first. 
And so, you know, we get consumed with, you know, rods and reels and bass boats and, you know, checking out all of our equipment and trying to get ready. Others get consumed with cars. Everybody say cars. Have you ever taken a look at some of the cars in the parking lot? I saw a 1931 in the parking lot. That guy's been driving that car for a long time, hadn't he? But he, Richard grabbed, got a hold of that car. He's beginning to rebuild it, and, and it's looking nice. When I pulled up this last week, my grandson was with me, and he said, Paul, Paul, check out that car. And so we drove up, you know, and he was looking at it. But we can get consumed with all kinds of things. The sad part about it is there are some things that consume us that take away from our lives instead of add to it. How many of you have ever met someone that's been consumed with grief? You know, it, something happened to them that broke their heart, and they've never been able to get over it. And so grief consumes them so that even when the sun's shining outside, it's still a dark day inside. The scripture talks about it in Psalms 31 and 9 when he says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I'm in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief. Yea, my soul and my belly. It gets inside of you. I've met I've, in, in my own personal life, there are times that I've gone through grief and, and literally on the inside, it just feels like there are times that you're about to double over. And what I found out is you have to be able to move on past grief. I was reading a story about a lady that had lost her husband and she was just grieving and couldn't get over it. And another lady that was a friend of hers that had lost her husband earlier sent her a letter or a card. And in the card, there was a handwritten message that said, it'll get better in time. Trust me. And she read that and she thought about that and that so helped her. And and from, for the next several months, she would go back and she would revisit that card. When she began to feel like she was overwhelmed with grief, she would pull that card back out and she would read those words about, it will get better in time, trust me. And it helped her. And she wanted to call and tell her how much her card had meant. And she pulled it out one more time and opened it up. And that handwritten message wasn't on the card. God had caused her to see a message that he sent to her personally to let her know it was going to get better in time, and it did. God's able to free us from that that can consume us and tear us apart. In Psalm 73 and 19, that how many of you have ever been afraid before? Fear. You know, I've told people, I said, I've tasted fear before, man. I, I was riding a bike and a pit bull came after me. And man, I, I tasted fear. I, I jumped off that bike, threw it out in front of me. And it, that pit bull was on one side and I was on the other. And I was trying to keep it off of me. And I thought I had tasted fear at that moment until I saw that second pit bull come around the corner. And then I really tasted it. And I thought, man, I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm sandwiched in here now. I'm getting ready to be lunch. And then their owner came out and hollered at them for a moment. Fear just took hold of me. Have you ever been driving down the road and just missed an accident? 
fear? Have you ever been waiting for someone to, a, a child or, or a, a spouse or someone that was traveling and you've been waiting to hear from them and you can't reach them on the phone and, 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 you know, and fear begins to try and grip your heart and your mind runs wild and you're thinking about, oh, this has happened or that's happened and fear just tries to take hold of you. In Psalm 73 and 19, it says, how are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. People live a life that's terrified, always afraid about what's going to happen. And sometimes we're borrowing trouble. We're focused on things that we think might happen instead of focusing on God. We talked about focus last week, and today I, I, I want you to get that whatever you're focused on, you get consumed with. And so you've got to be careful what you're allowing to consume your life. How many of you have ever gotten mad before? Anybody? I mean, you know, we always call it, well, I, I was upset. That's why the veins were bulging on your head. I was just upset about it. I was, I was perturbed. I, you were foaming at the mouth is what you were doing. Mad. Everybody say mad. You know, so, and, and I, I've watched anger take control of people. Let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many of you have ever done something in a moment of anger that later you, you went, man, I can't believe I did that. I, I just can't believe I did that. You, you acted in such a way you said something or you might have, you might have done more than say something. You might have hit someone. You, you may have, you know, and, and, and saying, well, just forgive me, forgive me. But isn't it odd that sometimes we're always asking forgiveness for the same thing? Everybody say, we got to get over it. Got to get control of it. Because what we don't take control of will control us. And so anger can become an issue. You remember when Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he sends his disciples into Samaria to prepare a place for him. And they're going into Samaria. He's going to pass through Samaria. And when the Samaritans find out that he's not going to stay at Samaria, but he's going on to Jerusalem, they get upset and they say, no, you can't stay here. And you know, James and John being un the understanding disciples that they were looked at Jesus and said, do you want us to call fire down out of heaven and consume these people like Elijah did? Men of God. <laughs> what are you saying? I'm saying these guys walked with him. These guys were by his side. And yet anger took them over. As a matter of fact, Jesus looked at him and said, man, you don't even know what manner of spirit you're of. What I'm trying to get you to see is that we are not exempt from this stuff. If these men that walked right beside him wrestled with it, doesn't it just make sense that we're going to have to contend with it as well? And so what you've got to do is learn how do I best contend with this? What, what can I do that will help me navigate these things? I thought about how, you know, sometimes it's just like everything comes piling in at once and we're overwhelmed by life and it's because of what we're focusing on and we become, become consumed with it. 
James talks to us in the fourth chapter, and he says, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Isn't it because there's a whole army of evil desires within you? You want what you don't have, so you kill to get it. You long for what others have and can't afford it. So you start a fight to take it away from them. And yet the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask God, you don't get it because your whole aim is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Mm. There's a few things he covered there. Let's take a look at him. Envy, lust, greed, and jealousy. Those are all staples of life, in case you didn't know that. Those are all emotions that we deal with at some point. And what Paul is, or what rather James is saying to those that he's writing to is, look, you're so consumed with this stuff that it's taken over your life and you're acting out of emotion instead of out of faith. How many of you have ever found yourself responding out of emotion? Anybody? Have you ever bought something emotionally and then later wished you hadn't? Man, I remember a guy came in with, I, I've told you about that guy that came in to my, I, I, I was, you know, single, lived by myself. For, so for all you single guys, this is a warning to you. Don't let a vacuum salesman in your house. <laughs> This guy came in with a vacuum cleaner, but it was more than a vacuum cleaner, man. It could spray paint your house. It had a saw that hooked. I'm telling you the truth. This thing had a spray paint gun that you could hook up to it and spray paint your house. It had a, a saw that you could hook up to it and, and, and cut your way into a new tomorrow. And it was only like $1,100. Back in 1980s, I think it was 1980-something, it never dawned on me I could buy a vacuum cleaner, I could go out and buy a spray gun, and I could get a saw for a lot less than that. It was just that moment, that emotional moment, and I thought, oh, man, yeah, this thing, I'm the only kid on the block that's got one. And then I regretted buying it. And then you have to live with what you act on. Everybody say, I need to watch what I'm consumed with. How many of you have ever gotten consumed with a television show? I, I, I was talking to some, <laughs> hold them up there for a while. You remember that show 24? It was called 24. I was talking to some brothers, and, 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 and they, they got together, and they watched 24 for like 24 hours. Literally, man, they just kept, every, they watched the entire, the, the whole show at one setting. They said, you know, every season, man, they're watching it, and, you know, and, and I'm thinking, man, you come out of there with a glazed overlook, you know, and, and so we've got to be careful what we're letting consume us because then at the end of the day what consumed us can cause us to feel so empty that we walk away feeling like man this is just you know this i should have never allowed this to happen to us when we're consumed with wrong things we can end up hurting not just ourselves but others you know thank god for medical science amen that, you know, that 
there are prescription medications that have been developed that help us, right? I mean, you know, there's blood pressure medication, there's, there's pain medication, and those things can help you, but they can also hurt you when you get consumed with them. So there's been this big, you remember there, there, there was this big deal about people getting their grandma's medications, you know, the prescription medications and, and taking those and, and, and turning them, you know, and, and, and repurposing them or doing things with them, you know, and all of a sudden now they've become a drug that they're addicted to. I've known of folks that got on pain medication and they needed it for something specific, but then it got a hold of them and they couldn't let go of it after they were done with the sickness, after they were through with the healing process and they, they, it just had them. It consumed them. Amen. You know, the scripture, Paul makes a statement and Paul said, a little wine for the stomach's sake. Everybody say, a little. <laughs> A little wine for the stomach sake. But then what happens if we let that consume us, it ends up destroying our lives and our families. And then we, somebody, I had a guy tell me one time, well, you know, there, there, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I said, look, it's not in and of itself. It's when it begins to consume you, then anything can become wrong to us. Amen. When it begins to consume us. How many of you, after you got married, had trouble breaking away from mama's apron springs. No springs, because they'll bounce you right out of the door, man. I know it's supposed to be apron, apron strings, but a lot of times it just, you know, it, it just keeps us moving. So what we've got, to, we have to learn now for all you mamas out there that are giving me a dirty look right now. I'm just saying this, is that life is lived in seasons. And every season holds a unique and special value in and of itself. And if you don't learn how to change with the season, then you're going to get real frustrated because you're still consumed with living in the spring of your life and you're missing the summer. And each one of those seasons holds something unique for you. But if we're not careful, we're not experiencing what God has for us because we keep hanging back to the one that we're used to. Everybody say, I'm just used to it. So we get consumed with it. I thought about the Apostle Paul. There was a time in his life that he was consumed with religion. Everybody say religion. I'm not talking about a relationship with God. There's a big difference here. He got consumed with religion. He said concerning himself, he said, look, he said, I'm, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. What was he saying? He's saying when it came to the law, there was no one that lived it stricter than I did. But there's something unique that he would write. This same man that was consumed with the letter of the law ends up writing later in his life that the letter killeth. How did he know that? Because that's what he was doing. He was going out and he was having people arrested and he consented to the death of many. 
He gave his approval because he, they weren't following it like he was following it. And if you're not doing it like I'm doing it, then you're not doing it right. How come nobody yelled amen? amen. Thank you. Because <laughs> sometimes it's, we get so consumed with the tapestries of religion that we miss out on the relationship that God wants with us. So Paul said the letter killeth, but what? But the Spirit giveth life. It makes us come alive, the reality of God. Paul is consumed with it, and it's not just destroying his life, but he's destroying the lives of others with it. Until he found a relationship with God. Amen. And he got consumed with that relationship. Amen. Let, me, let, me ask you, let me ask a question today. How many of you, well, I'm not going to let me ask it this way. Did you ever wonder how many folks just go to church for the routine of it? Let me make it personal. What's bringing you to church? Is it the routine of church? Or is it because you're consumed with a relationship with Christ? Amen. When Paul got a relationship with God, everything changed. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, everything. Can I tell you that when you get a relationship with God, I'm not talking about that you've got your, you know, 25-year pin for being at church every Sunday for the last, you know, since 1970. I'm, I'm talking about, well, that'd be a little bit more than 25 years, wouldn't it? Somebody got cheated. So, but, but I'm talking about the moment that all of a sudden your life got consumed with his life. Paul said, Look, do you understand his story? He's on his way to arrest some more believers. He's getting ready to throw some more folks in prison when all of a sudden someone that he didn't even think was a reality, thought was just a man that had lived and died, showed up in the middle of his life and said, here I am. I'm the one you've been fighting against, and he's consumed with that. Matter of fact, later he'd get arrested for it. Think about this. He's arrested for what he's arresting others for. Amen. What's that play into? You ever read that scripture, whatever a man sows? He, he had arrested all these people for believing in Jesus, and then he himself is arrested. But it doesn't stop him. As a matter of fact, Paul, when, when Paul meets Christ, he, it doesn't just impact his life. It impacts the world. Amen. you, you got to get out of this small thinking that, well, I can't make any difference. You know, I'm just a person. I'm, what, what can I do? You can impact the world around you. Amen. But you can't do it on your own. The only way you can do it is understanding what Paul said when he makes a statement, I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. What was Paul saying? I'm not my own anymore. So he goes and he starts sharing this gospel and he's telling everybody about it from the Jews to the Gentiles. 
Somebody say, that's me. People that weren't believed, people that, that Jews did not believe could be children of God. Paul's the one that introduces them. Now, this is unique, and, I, and, and it's just like God because he delights to do the impossible. He takes the guy that's the most religious guy, turns his heart, and now he's preaching to people that he considered dogs before and telling them how much God loves them. Amen. And it's changing everything, changing everything. As a matter of fact, he ends up, that's what he goes to jail for. He ends up, he's in Jerusalem, and everybody keeps telling him, don't go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested there. He looks at him and said, why are you trying to break my heart, man? I'm not just ready to be arrested for Jesus. I'm ready to give my life for him. And so they just finally, they said, well, God's will be done. And he goes to Jerusalem on a mission. When you begin to view your life like you're on a mission uh, instead of on a vacation, uh, you're going to find that you get consumed with his presence. Amen. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, it's mission impossible. Because, I mean, if God's going to use you, turn around, look at your neighbor and say, if God's going to use me, that almost seems impossible. Haven't you felt that way? Haven't you ever felt like, God, what can I offer? What can I do? And here comes Paul, and he starts sharing this. He's in Jerusalem, and, and, and he's... He's worshiping God, and all of a sudden people spot him, and they find out, man, this is the guy that's been telling people that Jesus loves them. This is the guy that's been telling Gentiles that God cares about him, and they take him, and they're about to rip him apart. He doesn't recant. He doesn't back off. He keeps sharing with them. And, and, when he, and finally, he gets arrested. He ends up before a guy by the name of Festus. He's been held in prison for over two years now. Festus is holding him. Agrippa, a king, comes by, and they sit down for him to talk to them because Agrippa wants to hear him. And Paul gets excited because he's in prison. Paul gets excited because the prison he's in has opened up a door of opportunity he would have never known had it not been for this moment. Quit looking at where you're at and being consumed with grief or fear that nothing's ever going to change and recognize that the very moment you're at, God is going to use for his glory the moment you turn your face toward him and say, here I am, God use me. He begins to talk to them. He gets excited. And he tells, let me put it in plain English. He says, King Agrippa, I'm so excited to be here and to share with you what my, my story. I'm asking you to, to take, you know, to, to just bear with me because I want to tell you this from the beginning. He's saying, I, I know you understand all Jewish custom and law, so I'm happy today. And he begins to share with them. He said, he said, if, if, if these that are accusing me would be honest, they would tell you that from my birth, I was one of the most focused and dedicated and hardcore individuals when it came to the law that they'd ever seen. I used to go around and have people arrested that believe what I believe now. He said, but I was on 
my way to Damascus and had letters from the high priest giving me permission to carry out this mission to arrest believers. He said, and man, a light that was brighter than the sun shone and a voice sounded out of heaven. And he said, Paul, why, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the bricks. And I asked, I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. He looked at Agrippa and he said, what can I do? I had to follow that vision. I mean, if that happened to you in your life, you say, well, pastor, that could never happen. No, but something just as powerful could. Uh, like all of a sudden you're an individual that has felt no hope and no purpose. Uh, you've been strung out on drugs. You've been hung out to dry. All your friends have given you up. Uh, and all of a sudden one day uh, you hear him call your name. Uh, he touches your heart. Uh, he deals with your life and he changes you. What else could I do but obey that vision, go after it? He said, I haven't been disobedient to it. Man, I've shared it everywhere I've gone. He said, and that's the reason I stand before you today because I, I, I was arrested for it. I, I've shared this with the Jews and the Gentiles. Festus, man, you ever see somebody get under conviction? And all of a sudden they're thinking, man, I got to get away out of here. Festus looks at Paul and he shouts out. He said, Paul, you're crazy. Matter of fact, he said, Paul, much learning has made you mad. That's the kind of March madness I'm after. <laughs> he said, much learning has, has made you mad. And he looked at him and he said, Festus, I'm not mad. I'm speaking to you the words of truth. Amen. He said, King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? And he said, I know you believe. He said, this thing wasn't done in a corner. I know you've heard of him. I know that you're aware of what happened. And he's promised that he would raise from the dead. And that's what's taking place. And Agrippa looks at him and said, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Uh, how many of you uh, would like to have the opportunity uh, to lead a king to Christ? But see, most of the time we get in front of folks that are impotent and we freeze up. We get, wait a minute, look all right. And, we, we, and we're trying to make sure we enunciate everything right. I'm so honored to be here today to communicate with you, not just in this audience, but you that are watching online. Come on. Folks just want something real. They want, they want to know that God understands where they're at and that he can change that for them. And so Paul communicates that and he lets them know it's all changed for me now. Think about in your own life, what happened to you when you became consumed? Or maybe you haven't been yet. You know, I, th there's this disease that's going, I, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it. There's this disease that is a flesh-consuming disease. Have you heard of it? I'm not making this up. This is true. This, that, that it literally, people have come in contact with it. There was a lady that... Uh, I believe died from it here a few years ago. She was 
out on a, uh, if I remember right, she was, <clears throat> what's that called when you're going down the line, zip, zip lining in another country, and she cut her foot, and a bacteria got in it, and nobody realized what was going on, and it literally ate her up, just consumed her. I thought about that, and the gospel consumes our flesh when we fall in love with him. It doesn't destroy us. It consumes us. It doesn't tear our life apart. It puts our life together. It doesn't cause us to hate. It causes us to love. I thought about it. I thought, what would happen if we got consumed by God. I'm not talking about just going to church, but what would happen if we got consumed by God? I begin to look at that and, and, and I, I recognize that there are some things I know would happen. The first thing that would happen is we would love people. How many of you have met some mean Christians before? <laughs> Praise God. Glad I'm not like you, old heathen sinner. Look, man, you're not serving the same God I am. The, God, the Scripture says that God is love. God doesn't act that way. Do you want to know the only people that Jesus ever took a whip to? Is <laughs> religious folks. It was people that were sitting in the temple, and they had set up their wares in a place that was supposed to be a place where Gentiles could come and pray. And what they did, in essence, is they said, stuff is more important to us than people are, so they pushed the people out so they could get their stuff in. It's time for God to consume some things in our lives so that people become more important to us than stuff is. If you get consumed by God, you're going to love. You can't help it because God is love. Everybody say God's love. The other thing that's going to happen is your actions are going to show it. The Scriptures tells us in, in, in John, he says, we don't just say we love. We show it with our actions by sharing the truth. Wow. We show it with our actions by telling you you're fine just the way you are. Huh. We show it with our actions by trying to manipulate, manipulate you. No. It says we show it with our actions by telling you the truth, but you share the truth in love. Amen. You don't love somebody if you encourage them to continue in a lifestyle that's going to destroy them. You don't love somebody if you withhold from them the one key to eternal life. You, you, that's not love. When I got saved, man, I was, you think I'm excited now. When I got saved, they said, what's it feel like? I was a young man. They said, what's it feel like? I said, man, it feels like I got springs in my feet. 
Don't you all jump with me now. I came into a I didn't know anything about God, didn't know anything about religion. I just knew that what had happened to me was real. And I walked in, I never forget, I walked into a service and they all were talking about how good God is. And they looked at me and they said, Brother Rick, what, what do you think? What do you, what do you think about Jesus? And I got up and I said, man, I feel like Tony the Tiger tonight. I think Jesus is great. Everybody in that church started looking around at each other thinking, oh, keep an eye on that boy. Do you understand? It was the reality of who he was. It was about the fact that I found something real. And that's what folks want. Can I tell you, folks don't really care about how pretty your auditorium is or how big your church is. What they're looking for is someone that will love them and change their life. And that someone is Jesus. If we got consumed, we would share his grace and truth. The scripture says that grace and truth came how? Came by Jesus Christ. His, we would share his grace, his unmerited favor. What we would do is we would let everybody know, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, there's a God that loves you. We would share his truth. He loves you just the way he found you, but he loves you too much to leave you the way he found you, so he's going to change you. Everybody say, turn around, look at your neighbor and say, there's a change coming. He's going to change you. You say, oh, thank God, Pastor, I've been trying to change my spouse for years. The change is coming to you. <laughs> it's coming to you. He's going to start here first. And when it happens in here, guess what? You're going to start seeing your spouse differently than you saw them before. You're going to love like you've never loved before. Somebody's over there laughing. I don't know where that came from. You're going you're gonna to love like you've never loved before because you're going to understand like you've never understood before. The Scripture said that he's made us able. Everybody say able. He's made us able ministers of the New Testament. Somebody says, well, I can't share the gospel. Can you breathe? Do you have the ability to communicate? Can you talk? And if you can't talk, can you write? And if you can't write, can you grunt? Can you just smile? Amen. Because a smile can communicate love in a way that nothing else does. Amen. If you just let him flow through you. Everybody say, I feel the flow coming. <laughs> What would be the result of all this if, if, if all of a sudden God consumed us? The result would be people's lives would be set free and they'd be changed. The Scripture tells us that you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Don't you think it's time that we get consumed with God? Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, I want to be consumed. You know, Jeremiah was dealing with some folks that were pretty hard-headed. I couldn't relate to that at all. I don't know how that felt. Jeremiah, J Jeremiah gets to the point where he's saying, you know what? 
nobody even cares what I'm saying anyway. I'm just not going to say it anymore. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm not going to share anymore. And something happened. Because when you're sitting on something as powerful as his word, it's like trying to sit on top of old faithful and keep her from blowing. And all of a sudden, it just began to build up in him and build up in him and build up in him until he finally said, man, this is like a fire that shut up in my bones. He couldn't help but share it. He couldn't help but tell it. You, you, when, when it gets real to you, it consumes you because you remember what it's done in your own life. Has he done anything for you? Has he done anything for you? Then if he has, you're going to be compelled to share that. I mean, think about this. If God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, don't you think the world's got a right to know that? Don't you think that the world ought to be, that 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 truth ought to be shared with the world? Well, how's it going to happen? It's going to happen through you and me. It's going to happen when all of a sudden we get up and we say, you know what? I got something I need to share with you. Excuse me if I get excited. It's kind of like that story about, you know, the pastor had a, an attorney coming to the service and he, there was this little lady in the church and she'd always get excited you know when she'd go to testify she'd get up and she'd clear out the pew how many of you know what I'm talking about she'd get excited Woo! I've been around some folks like that and so the pastor went up to her and said look we don't want to scare this guy off so I'd appreciate it if you'd just control it. She looked at him and she said, Pastor, I'll try, but I'm not making you any promises. Service went on and he decided, he said, you know what, I'm, I am, I'm not even going to risk it. I'm not even going to have a testimony service. So he skipped testimony and he, he started to go straight. Now this is, you know, years ago, you know. So he skipped testimony service and, and he goes straight in to preaching. And all of a sudden she jumped up and she said, Pastor, I know I told you that I was going to try, but I just can't help it. I just need to tell somebody how good God is. And man, she got excited and started going all over the place, you know, and the pastor's sweating bullets. And he's thinking, oh my goodness, you know. Finally, the lady sits down and he thinks, oh, thank God. He delivers his sermon, and man, he's on point. He covers everything. He's got it down, and he's thinking, I think I salvaged this service. I think I, I, and he ran back, and he grabbed the attorney by the hand, shook his hand, and he said, I'm so glad you came today. I'm so glad you were here. How how did you enjoy service? He said, well, to tell you the truth, I thought your sermon was a little dry, but I sure would like to have what that lady has over there. (laughs) Do you know people are after something uh, that will change them, uh, something that will grab their heart and transform their lives? You ready for a change? Would you stand with me right now? Maybe... Maybe you've let the fire die down. Maybe you've let it go out. You know, the thing is, is if if fire's there, you can always fan it. Just fan the fire a little bit. Years ago, I almost hate to tell this on myself, but years ago, I had raked up a bunch of leaves 
and I'd, I'd set them on fire, but the fire had stopped. And all that was going on was smoke. I learned firsthand about that expression where there's smoke, there's fire. Because <laughs> there, there was just smoke rolling out from these leaves, so I, I got a bright idea and I went and grabbed me a can of gas. I know, I know. I was young at the time, give me a break. I grabbed a can of gas, walked out there, and I, I didn't do it at the edge. I walked all the way, so like the leaves are starting here. I walk all the way down here, and I start to pour gas. You know, I'm just pouring gas like this, and all of a sudden, man, when it ignited, it went and, and this and, and I forgot I still had that gas can so I'm still pouring gas and, and, that, and that fire is chasing me and I finally realized what was going on and I grabbed that can and I threw it just as far as I could oh God you see because fire will always follow the source I can't do it in my own on my own I can't serve I, it's impossible for me to live a Christian life without Him. He's the source of the fire. And there's something else I discovered is every once in a while, you need to fan it new. Every once in a while, you need to pour some fuel on it. Stoke it a little bit. And get, Paul said it this way, he said, stir up the gift that's in you. You ever been around an old campfire and it looks like it's just died out and all of a sudden you start stirring around in that fire and the next thing you know, it's flaming again. It's there. You just need to say, God, let the wind of your spirit blow on me fresh. Stir me with your word brand new. Let me come alive in you. You've heard me say dozens of times, if living for God had been about going to a church and sitting on a pew, I would have never done it. It had to be real to me. And that same God that made himself real to me can make himself real to others. The same God that showed himself real to you can show himself real to others. But now hear me, he uses people to do that. So he wants to use you. He wants you to fan the fire and ignite the flame. So if you're in this building today and you don't know him, let me invite you today to give your heart to him. It's not complicated. It's not hard. We've had people during preaching give their hearts to God. Folks who just were sitting in the chair and just started weeping, and all of a sudden they just started responding to the words they were hearing because this isn't about me. This is all about him. And if you get your eyes on me, you're going to be out of focus. You're going to get consumed with man, and you need to be consumed with God. You say, 
Esther, I'm just checking to see if you've got any faults. Well, yeah, I do. You want to know them? Come and talk to me. You don't have to be trying to check and see if I got any. I can tell you right now I got them. This is what I'm telling you. The God I serve doesn't have any. The God I serve is faultless. He's never failed. That's why I need him. That's why I have to reach for him. Because without him, we're destined for failure. But Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. So if you're ready to move out of passivity into an exciting journey with Jesus, I want to invite you to come to the front and stand with me right now. As prayer partners come up and stand. If, if, if you're here today and, and you say, Pastor, look, I, I love God, but I've just kind of let the fire die down a little bit then I want to invite you to come right now. Come on, prayer partners, move to the front quickly. You say, what's the point? The point is this, is that if we don't keep feeding the fire, the fire can go out. How many of you have ever gone to bed at night at a camp and the fire was raging when you went to sleep you're gathered around it and you were staying warm and then all of a sudden in the wee hours of the morning you start getting cold because you discover that the fire's dying down. We don't just give our heart to God once and call it a day. We don't just respond to God one time and then walk away from that. But what we do is we continue to respond to God day after day after day to keep that fire burning in our hearts. We've got some work to do, folks. There's a whole world that needs to know how much God loves him. And they're not going to find out if we're just sitting in here talking about it. So we've got to take it to them. If you're in this building today and you say, Pastor, I want to be a part of that. I, I want God to use my life. You say, well, let's get a plan. Here's the plan. Talk about him everywhere you go. Say, so, well, we need to get, we need to get a, big, a big group of people together and march down Main Street with banners. We love Jesus and beat a bass drum. No, what you need to do is show up in Walmart, start talking to somebody, engage them in a conversation, and share about how good God is. Reach them on an individual basis and let the love of God that's in your heart touch their heart. Because... That's how they changed the world. They went to the house of Jason. And the leaders came and they said, these are those that have turned the world upside down. Would to God that when I'm no longer here, some, well, let me rephrase that. Would to God while I'm still here, somebody saying that about us. These are those that have turned the world upside down. Come on, let's give him a hand clap of praise in this house today. We're going to invite you right now. If you'd like to come forward, to come forward, we're going to pray together. Get, hold for just a second. You want that fire stirred up in you, just make a step forward. Not, I want you to stretch your hands at, 
out where you are, come on up, come on up. Stretch your hands out where you are. And say, God, here I am. I'm asking you to use me. Would you pray this prayer with me right now? Pray this prayer with me right now. Father, I'm coming to you today asking you to stir the ashes that have grown cold and let the fire begin to burn fresh. I don't want to just go to church. I don't just want to show up in services. I want you to touch my life in such a way that my life touches the lives of others. Grant it to me now, God. Help me to stir up what you've placed in me. And I give you praise for it right now in Jesus' name. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise in this house today. We're walking out of here today consumed. Everybody say consumed. No longer consumed with fears or grief or anger or worry or woes, but consumed with the power and the presence of a living God that's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all you're able to ask or think. God bless you today. Remember, you're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. He's going to bless you going out and coming in, and we'll see you next week. God bless you. We hope you've been touched by today's message. I wanted to take a moment and just remind you how very much God loves you. The Apostle Peter tells us that it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, God speaks through the prophet and tells us that I know what my plans are for you, that they're plans for good and not for destruction, to give you a future and a hope. That's what God wants for your life. He has a plan and a purpose designed specifically for you. And you can walk into that plan and purpose by just asking him in your heart today. I wonder if you'd take a moment right now and just stop wherever you're at and pray this prayer with me. God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Lord, I believe that Jesus was crucified on my behalf that you raised him from the dead so that I could have life. And right now, I accept you as my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, we believe that angels are rejoicing in heaven because you've come home. Now the important thing is for you to find a good Bible-believing church and become a part of that as you continue your journey with Jesus. We want to invite you to come and be with us any chance you get. Until then, remember, Jesus loves you, and we do too.